Welcome to Let's, Let's talk, talk About, about gay, gay Stuff. stuff. Woohoo! We're going to talk about gay stuff. Kendall. Still don't have the budget for that. We're, <laughs> we're, we're the podcast where we talk about gay stuff and discuss the week in LGBT history. I'm just feeling it because this week I'm going to talk about. You're still on your J-Lo Super Bowl high. The song I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. And that's going to be an epic discussion. And we're also talking about this week, if you guys want to know. If you can't wait. Remind me because I have literally forgotten. We're going to talk about Elizabeth Taylor. And you're going to tell us about Jerry Falwell. Oh, which, yeah. You know, we'll be. Miss <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> as I'm getting tapped on the shoulder <laughs> by Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy's the dog. He's the dog, yes. Not the um, president. But Jerry Falwell, though, reminds me of, I mean, with just this recent drama with um, Rush Limbaugh. Excuse the snapping. And um, saying. You know, he got the Presidential Medal of. Yeah, yeah. I, at the freaking a I mean, few weeks ago, it was such epic TV. Though I mean, you think about what I mean. I didn't appreciate. I was disgusted, but I was like, when Rush Limbaugh, when Melania put that Medal of Freedom during the the State of the Union address, I was like, what the frick? This is bananas. Like it was just, but he was. It was excellent TV. Like if you are a fan of Donald Trump, I'm sure you're like, this guy is the most amazing person of ever. Of course, yeah. And so, but anyways. Rush Limbaugh, like I was, you know, he recently announced that he was uh, like stage four cancer, right? right? So he's, he ho- I mean, hopefully he recovered. I mean, I, admittedly, when I first heard that news, I was like, well, this would happen to bad people, but I don't, I don't wish that on anyone, right? I don't, right. so, um, but then he goes and says, and so, but a lot of people were like, good, good for him. And I was like, okay, check, check yeah. uh, impulses. But he recently said, which is why people don't like Rush, because uh, at least liberals, because he was like, oh, yeah, I'd like to see this Mayor Pete. This is what the Dems want to do is put Mayor Pete out there. No one wants to see him kissing his husband because there's a lot of pictures out there of, yeah. of him kissing his husband. Of course, it's interesting with Mayor Pete and the, as he kisses his husband because uh, you've got all sorts of people that are like like, uh, like Fox News. And other, they're, they're critiquing the way he kisses his husband. It's not gay enough. So uh, it's interesting. Okay, I won't talk about Mayor Pete. Anymore. Well, they have a right to... Say that because Melania doesn't kiss her husband. <laughs> right, so it's fair footing, right? She, she twats his hand away. Yeah. Like, Don't touch me. Did you say twats, twats his, his hand, hand away? <laughs> no, she hands his twat away. Swats his hand away. <laughs> she swats her twat away. I don't know what's going on. That's the first lady, guys. We can't talk about her like that. Remember when the, we used to like uh, revere first, best. first ladies and how you know how great they were. You had to respect them. And then Melania comes in. and That ended for me with Laura Bush. Laura B- oh. oh, I love Laura Bush. I feel she was just kind of like s- silent. She didn't do anything. Like Barbara was active. Uh, Michelle Obama was active. Hillary Clinton was active. I feel Laura Bush was like, okay. She well, read to her dogs or some, had some kind of Something, yeah. She was a librarian. <laughs> so Taught dogs how to read or something. All right. Well, I got my Mayor Pete squeeze in for uh, the episode. Mm. So what do you, uh, what do you else Level are going on? You guys, you guys, re- you guys <laughs> read anything, watch anything interesting? The bathhouses are about to be back in San Francisco. Yeah. Whoa. We just came from San Francisco. Dang it. Uh, did you notice there weren't any bathhouses? I mean, that, I wasn't looking. That's why he was sad after the trip. He's like, oh, they don't have bathhouses there. Uh. No. He'll go back, though. So we had to make our so much better bathhouses. We had to make our own. Remember, Spence like, um, dropped down to his... Uh, so they were, what, banned in the 80s from the AIDS, AIDS crisis or what? Yeah, so the city and county had sued in the 80s saying it's, um, it's a health risk because all these gays are having sex everywhere. And of course they were. So they didn't outright ban them. They said there has to be a monitor to make sure that people are wearing condoms. 
Oh. Which I would love that job. Hey, hey, uh, let me see. Okay, I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> leave room for the Holy Ghost, right? This yeah. is the, the, uh, and you have to blow condom. a whistle and check midway. Oh, my God. You would love wearing a whistle in the bathhouse. <laughs> Sorry. Kenna's <laughs> like, not on my watch, fellas. Well, there had not to be a monitor that was employed there, and then there could be no walls because it had, everything had to be out in the open, so there could be no place. It was basically oh. like a gymnasium yeah. with a bunch of gym coaches. I've seen that movie. So, the, like, yeah. Yeah. On X tube. <laughs> yeah, so now yeah. there's a, a sponsor a seeking legislature a sponsor. <laughs> of the Castro district that's trying to overturn that. Okay. Ban. Bring bathhouses. It's time in. to bring bathhouses back. I wonder what like a tw- like a San. I mean, because bathhouses are still out there, right? So, but I wonder what a 2020 San Francisco bathhouse is going to be like. You know, Wi-Fi. <laughs> charcuterie tech, a bunch boards. Of tech nerds, yeah. <laughs> Wine. Wine, yeah. Like Gluten-free cum. Yeah, that's what I'm about to say. There'd <laughs> be some, especially in San France. Non-GMO. Right. <laughs> Chris. Non-GMO. <laughs> we have a friend who is anti-non-GMO. You can only eat vegan ass. <laughs> that's a, they'd have one for, yeah. I mean, you couldn't use leather because, you know, animal uh, cow, cruelty. Yeah. So that would be. <laughs> what the fuck? What <laughs> you have to have hip. Uh, <laughs> harnesses. Yes, hip harnesses on. <laughs> oh my God. There's a lot of money to be made, and if you all would like to sponsor, maybe, maybe you should start one, Kendall. CBD hip uh, harness company. CBD yeah. lube. Yeah, <laughs> is that yeah. what it is? CBD. Yeah, because they have CBD so cream. Like, I'm excited. Y'all just missed it. You just got back from San Fran, and now the bathhouses are coming. Coincidence? I think not. Well, uh, who do you think was the one? They signed the petition. There? They're like, nope. y'all got a petition going? Every bar I went to, I put in my c- in the comment cards. We need more bathhouses. Yeah. Like these urinals aren't big enough. So and plus, those are just you know you can't these wash yourself afterwards. Are not big enough, yeah. So, gee, <laughs> I need more monitors. I did go to one uh, restroom at one of the bars, and you know it's in true gay bar fashion, right? You're peeing in the the trough Child that mouth. is the urinal, and then there's a in the mouth. The mirror. Speaking of, I'll, I'll pause that because I I want to I want to come back to this peeing uh, discussion. But we were peeing, and then there's in, in this this trough area, right? And then there's a mirror, just like. Facing you, so you, your junk's everything. out there, and you yeah, see so you can see on down the line. Yeah, so it's well. Normally, you know, if you're gonna look, you gotta sneak a peek in. You gotta turn mm-hmm. your head. This one, you just look straight in the mirror, and mm. all the penises. It comes to you. Yeah, so it's. Oh, but we were out with a friend of ours recently, and uh, his he was telling like there was some guy that was like hitting on him. So we we're like, all right, get it on, go go do you. And the guy was really aggressive, like a handsome guy, but very like burly. And so you shook his hand, and he basically like it was a crush your death hand. grip. Yeah, uh, is this some rando? Someone just knew. But anyways, apparently the guy started making out with them. Like the the two went to the bathroom together. I, I don't think with the intent they went to actually pee. Um, mm-hmm. It always starts that way, right? Well, they were then they started making out. But as they were peeing, the guy, the 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 new guy, he put his hand out in front of oh, the cup it. Peeing, to cup it, and then drank it, and then wanted to kiss him. What? Oh my God! <laughs> Do I know this person? Not the, not the person. The drinker. Not the drinker, but the person. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. It was. Uh, this all happened. Uh, <laughs> it was like we were like, what? Because we were like, what happened? He was cute, and then he's like, yeah, let me tell you about it. <laughs> wow. And this all happened within uh, like and an just hour, at the, right at the bar. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, I'm just glad we can all drink out of the same fountain now. Yeah. You uh. know. Hmm. Equality, right? I know. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. Yeah, but okay. that was a story. So, you know, a few years ago, Paris Hilton got, like, uh, in trouble because she said gays are gross. Um, 
Oh, did she really? <laughs> Fuck that yeah. Bitch. Well, she said it in the taxi cab driver, and she was talking to a gay friend who, who was telling her about Grinder and how all that oh. works. She's like, gays are gross. Like, of course she didn't mean it. That well, way, she was right. But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, well, Disgusting. this is an example of where gays can be gross. But you know what? I don't. You, you're gonna have you find straight people like that too. Exactly. I mean, yeah. for all people this are stuff, into yeah, people have fetishes. It's more like guys. We're gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gross, and we all have. Fetishes. Well, as my friend Martha says, gay guys go through a lot of shit. <laughs> gross. <laughs> Literally. Martha. Y'all nasty. Good old Martha. Martha. And now. We talk about our sponsor, and Focus Group. And Focus Group supports organizations on their LGBTQ journey through training, consulting, and speaking. The In Focus Group team is passionate about connecting organizations and individuals to the power of LGBTQ diversity and inclusion. In Focus Group works to develop partnerships with organizations pursuing an LGBTQ inclusive workplace culture. We know that organizations achieve their best outcomes when LGBTQ employees bring their full and authentic self to the workplace. Those organizations willing to invest in LGBTQ inclusive inclusion thrive financially and from positive brand recognition. Learn more about the work at InFocus Group and how they can help your organization with LGBTQ diversity inclusion by visiting their website at www.infocusgroup.com. That's E-N-F-O-C-U-S-G-R-O-U-P.com. And you can check out the InFocus Group blog, which... And I'm going to do a guest spot on there very soon. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And you can also sign up for the InFocus Group newsletter and receive your free PDF, which is nine returns on establishing and maintaining LGBTQ inclusive workplace cultures. So, I again, we talk about this. We've had Tammy on yep. back when she was talking about the chamber and then the work that InFocus Group does. Um, so this is, a, again, a, 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 a nice little niche that uh, that she's... I wouldn't even say she's not. It's not an opportunistic thing. I mean, she's like there's no one telling the story right, about yeah. how to be more open and inclusive. And so, um, so kudos to In Focus Group from you know helping organizations and people become Definitely more a lot of good work. Yeah, more woke. So yeah, um, we, we want to talk about some gay stuff. Yeah, yeah, but don't forget about my world famous slang bang segment. Oh, talk about yeah. gay slang. God. Well, that's right. It's slang bang. I'm sorry, my notes are you know it's just <laughs> disheveled, or my brain is today. My Alzheimer's is spreading. Okay. So let's do it. Slang bang. Slang bang. What is it, Kendall? This is one I I learned about a month ago. Wow. I may have heard millennial slang bang. Um, it's called dead name. What? Dead name. Is that when you sit on your hand and then like try to? What what's yeah, what is dead, dead name? D E A D N A M E. Yeah. So what is dead name? So it's oh a wait, wait I think our millennial um, uh, producer or sound guy knows what it is. If you're gonna if you're gonna chime in, you gotta. Oh, we can't hear you back there. When a, mm. a person uh, becomes a trans person, becomes their true self, they that's their old name. Their old name is the dead name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's basically before. So someone that's oh, trans so and has woke. their new name that they've chosen and kind of like this, they're out as a trans person. The dead name, it, the equivalent, the easiest way to describe it is Bruce Jenner versus Caitlyn Jenner. Okay, so Bruce is the dead name. So yes, that and there's harsh. a lot of controversy about like especially celebrities. Articles written where they'll say they'll use the old name as kind of like a way to minimize the basically their trans experience oh, okay. and the fact that they're trans you know mm-hmm. the whole it's just a man in a wig thing especially so if that's how people the know them right right yeah uh, so it's controversial to use the dead name and for a lot of trans people it's literally like that person does not exist 
anymore. Is mm-hmm. that is that what the I mean that the, to me that seems harsh like that's you're turning away like a part of yourself but you're saying that but for a lot of them there's a lot of pain associated with that and they just don't want to be that like it's not it's something chosen like for them as a way to live versus not what's natural to them yeah Huh, I didn't know it's that thing. Yeah, I learned that last month. Wow. Where did you learn reading about or someone educated you on that? There was an article about um, some celebrity that was dead named, and I was like, what? Oh, okay. Yeah, so a little research. All this millennial He's stuff. He's always like doing research. I'm always constant. Into this millennial stuff. Well, not even millennial. Like, I'm obsessed right now with, uh, I'm sorry, before we get into your topic, with uh, Billie Eilish. Oh. Mm. And she's not. Well, she's not a millennial. I guess she's Gen Z. But I like her voice is haunting, and it's yeah, great. It is. And I've been listening nonstop YouTube videos. Just Have you heard her the James her new song, the James Bond theme song? Yeah, that one's okay. It's very James Bondy. Yeah, but she did a song too with uh, not a, a new song, but it was a recording of her one of her uh, songs, uh, Ocean Eyes, with uh, Alicia Keys. Spence doesn't like it because Alicia sounds too uh, happy or cheerful in this very sad song. Mm. But I'm like, it's an amazing version. So she was. It's when Alicia Keys last year was uh, guest spotting for uh, uh, James Corden. So okay, but wow. but, but you know, reason is Billy like a sponsor. <laughs> the reason I've caught all this stuff is like it's been like the gay like, uh, like gauntlet lately because you had the awesome Super Bowl halftime show at the beginning of the month. Well, before that, you had the Grammys. Then the Super Bowl happened. Oh, right, yeah. And then yeah. the Academy Awards. It's been like the gay mecca. And so Billie Eilish and other, like, all these performances. She's been on pretty much all these shows. So I've been like, oh, I love Billie Eilish. She's like, it's unhealthy. I told Spencer, I'm like, this is Ew, unhealthy. She's 17. Well, no, she's 18 now. Oh, but she was the youngest you. one to win a Grammy, which. Really? Yeah. Uh, which I guess I'm more. Best album Grammy. Yes. Youngest one, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, she won all those major categories. We'll talk about more of the Grammys later in my topic, but let's talk about yours. Okay, nice. Uh, um, Tony, sorry. Yes. Kendall always goes first. So I'm like, I, I need to go first. You do. You do. <laughs> uh, okay, so today I'm going to talk about Elizabeth Taylor. And i um, sure most of our listeners know who she is, but I want to focus on her um, AIDS advocacy work. Uh, so actually, I didn't, I knew. She, you know, growing up, I knew that she was an advocate for um, the fight against AIDS. But actually, after researching her, I really think, like, if it wasn't for her, I think a lot more people would have died during the AIDS crisis and it would have been a lot more prolonged because she. Um, so, you know, Elizabeth Taylor, she was uh, she was born this week in 1932. So um, she was an actress uh, ever since she, she was a childhood actor and then, you know, in her early years. And she got involved in the, her AIDS work in really in 1984. Um, so I guess, you know, she was always very outspoken. Even as a teenager, she met with Mr. Mayor of Metro Goldwyn Mayer. And he, he met with her and her mom and he was telling her something about, well, you need to do this. And she's like, I don't think I want to do that. And he goes, essentially, like, uh, the studio owns you, so you will do it. And she uh, stood up and she goes, you can go to hell. Nobody owns me. She's just very... And she would always tell the press when people would ask her about her marriage. She's like, I don't give a F what people think, you know. So anyways, um, she knew a lot of people that were uh, sick with AIDS. And it just she saw that Hollywood had made a lot of money off these people through their lives. And Hollywood was turning its back on them. I mean, nobody would acknowledge it. They wouldn't help these people. 
She saw that it was in the news every single day, but it was more of like a spectacle. The news wasn't really using its power or the media wasn't using its power to like help these people. It was, you know, they were just kind of feeding on it's a good it's a story and the hysteria. And yeah, exactly. And so and she just she didn't and the government wasn't doing anything. And really, she was kind of disgusted by it. And so she decided that she wanted to start fighting uh, for people with AIDS. And the first thing she did in 1984, she agreed. Fighting for, not fighting with. <laughs> What's that? I think you said fighting with people with AIDS. Oh, fighting for people with AIDS. Um, so she, one of the first things she did was um, there was a group in LA that was putting on a fundraising dinner and she really got involved with that. And she didn't want to just put her name and her picture with it. She really wanted to roll up her sleeves. And this was kind of, uh, when she started doing this, she ended up kind of winding down her acting career. And this was the focus for her for kind of the rest of her life. Um, and when she did that, so she released an office and she would go in every day and she would work the phones to try to get people to go. And she said that she had never in her life been told no that many times, had that many phones slammed down on her. And people told her, they said, this is going to ruin your career. Like, if you get involved with AIDS, it's going to ruin your career. I mean, people didn't want anything to do with it. And um, so she did that. And then in 1985, she um, teamed up with a doctor and they created a research organization and then at the same time, another doctor had started uh, an AIDS research organization, so they kind of um, merged them, and it was called AMFAR, the American Foundation for AIDS Research, in 1985. And she um, really focused on that for about five or six years. She, uh, you know, she was primarily like a fundraiser, but she also tried to raise awareness, and she she went uh, globally and would speak at conferences and things like that. Um, in 1991, she created the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation because she thought research is good and, you know, we're making a lot of progress, but a lot of organizations were just focused on research. They weren't focused on educating people, raising awareness, and really she saw a lot of people that weren't getting care. And, you know, we just read the Nurses on the Inside, mm -hmm. which is a, a book written by two nurses who lived in New York during the AIDS crisis and you know doctors would refuse care to patients I mean if somebody was admitted to a hospital some hospitals wouldn't take AIDS patients and ones that did they were kind of in a separate wing and doctors were like I'm not going over there risking my health and she and nurses would not you know tend to patients and so um she just saw a lot of people not getting proper care and so she wanted to focus on that so that was the why she founded that and it's interesting because she really despised the media getting into her business. She just, all of her life, she just hated that the media was always in her business. But People Magazine had always wanted photos of her, and so she agreed to sell all of her wedding photos, like one of her husbands, she agreed to sell all of their wedding photos to People Magazine for a million dollars in order to start this um, foundation. And so we'll get into it later, but she really was kind of a very um selfless and uh generous and giving person well yeah i mean just the, i mean her lending her celebrity to this cause like huge i mean it's when no one was talking like you said no one was talking yeah. about it and, and you know i think when um when you think about elizabeth taylor i just think this 
timeless beauty who was always in, you know, a lot of very expensive jewelry who kind of have the finer taste. Um, and a lot of people said she was, but she was not snooty. And, you know, she didn't just lend her, like, name and stuff to this. She, at the beginning of the AIDS crisis, she went to a doctor and she said, look, what are my worries? Like, can I hug them? Can I? And he said, yes. You know, if you hug them, if you shake their hands, you're not going to get anything. So she visited AIDS patients because, you know, a lot of them were disowned by their family, right. like they were neglected in hospitals. And she would visit AIDS patients and she would hug them and she would talk to them. And so um, she really did like and uh, her family kind of alluded to the fact they said, you know, because about two or three years before this, she was in um, she went into Betty Ford because she had a lot of back problems and she kind of overdid it on the um, alcohol and the painkillers. And they said this really gave her a new purpose in life. This really redirected her life. Um, she kind of went all in. She There was a hospital in Washington, D.C., and she basically founded the Elizabeth Taylor uh, Medical Center within that hospital mm -hmm. to focus on free uh, HIV testing and education and things like that. Um, she started an endowment, at, endowment fund at UCLA that was for AIDS research. Um, and she really was the first person to just be so out and just such an advocate who, you know, she didn't have AIDS and she wasn't gay. She was kind of the first uh, ally to really do this and, and lend everything. She was very political. Um, she testified before Congress three times about AIDS. She was actually instrumental in getting the Ryan White Air, uh, Care Act passed. And, you know, <coughs> they said these homophobic old senators that were, you know, kind of anti the bill, you could see them blushing and they were just glossy eyed that Elizabeth Taylor was sitting there. And so she, they said she really did have an impact and change. She was married to one minds. of them for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Warner from for Senator from Virginia. Yep. Um, and she is actually the one who got President Reagan to publicly announce or publicly discuss AIDS. So he had never even uttered the words. Um, and she she actually contacted Nancy Reagan and Nancy was pretty frosty about getting them involved in, you know, AIDS. And she just was very persistent. She said, look, you have no idea how much it would mean for you to just say there's this disease. It needs to be it's a crisis. It needs to be addressed. And he was he was worried about alienating his supporters. But she had asked him to be the keynote speaker at one of her foundation's annual functions. And she basically pestered him enough that he agreed. So in 87, he gave the keynote address, mm -hmm. and that's the first time he publicly uttered the word AIDS. Um, so she was at a uh, an international AIDS convention. I think it was in Belgium. It was either Belgium or Amsterdam. And she basically, she said, uh, you know, George Bush isn't doing anything for AIDS. She goes, I don't even know if he knows how to spell AIDS. And so later that day, when she came out of the conference, CNN was there, and they said, hey, did you know so-and-so, who was his um, health and human services secretary, did you know so-and-so said, you know, I'm not, we're not going to be badgered by celebrities or anybody else to change our AIDS policy? And she said, well, who is that? And this is on, ca on CNN, on camera. She said, well, who is that? And they said, well, the health and human ser services secretary. And she said, well, I wasn't really addressing that to him. I was addressing it to the president. You know, so she was very um, outspoken. She even, um, you know, outspokenly said that Clinton wasn't doing enough uh, for AIDS. She, it was rumored 
that um, in the 80s, because the FDA takes so long to approve everything, and I mean, people were just, you know, dying at such a rapid pace, she was rumored to have had like kind of an underground network where she was supplying non-FDA approved medicine that was, you know, yeah, she, she denies it. And her, every, everybody that worked with her denied it. And some people say they had to deny it because a research institute, Well, it's risky, but you're definitely going to die if you don't try it. Right. And so the rumors were, that was her attitude. Officially, all of her publicists, everybody associated with her organization were like, absolutely no, because they were worried that they would get shut down. Right. Um, But I mean, if she did good for her, you well, know. I mean, risky. Like is it, again, I, her being selfless and do, doing this, right? I mean, she could have, if, if it was, if she did get found out, I mean, she could have yeah. been in a world of trouble. Yeah, and right? so maybe she didn't. I don't know. It was just yeah. a rumor. Um, but I mean, she was actually given several awards. She was given a Presidential Citizens Award. A lot of LGBT organizations, a lot of organizations, um, you know, gave her awards for humanitarian efforts. This was very personal to her. So, you know, when she first started getting involved, it was because she saw people and she didn't know Rock Hudson had AIDS until he publicly, because he said he had cancer and hepatitis and she believed him until he publicly came out. Um, her personal secretary who was with her for years, he got AIDS and he, he committed suicide when he got it because oh, wow. he, he saw the way people were dying and he said, I'm not going to go through that. Mm-hmm, how they were treated too. Yeah. Um, her daughter-in-law actually had AIDS. And so Elizabeth Taylor started doing all this advocacy work and her daughter-in-law started getting paranoid because she was like, she used to be an intravenous drug user. Mm. And so um, she had taken some trips with Elizabeth um, and, you know, she was nervous and everything. And Elizabeth, you know, she had a very calm demeanor. She said, look, all you can do is get tested and, you know, we'll get through this. So she did get tested. She did. Uh, she was HIV positive, mm. and um, she immediately went back to using drugs. and And it was purposeful because she, at the time, she said it was a lot more respectable to die of a drug overdose than it was to die of AIDS. Mm. But Elizabeth was always there for her, and when she was ready to kind of like stop using drugs and get help, she was there. And so uh, she actually ended up living, you know, quite a while. Um, but uh, you know, so it was very personal to her, um, this fight. Um, uh, sorry. Um, so, and actually, you know, when she was in the middle of this fight, you know, she had a perfume line and she created, white she created white diamonds in order to, she had had a perfume line before that, but she wanted more money to fight AIDS. And she thought if I go back into acting, that'll take all my energy. I won't be able to like, you know, physically, you know, volunteer and stuff. And so she basically said, I'm going to create another perfume, white diamonds. And it was created to raise money for AIDS. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so in her will, she left, um, part of her royalties will always go to AIDS foundations and part of white diamonds profits for life will always go to, um, yeah, AIDS foundations. But, um, uh, you know, she was a very compassionate person. I, I kind of feel she knows what it was like to be judged for having so many husbands. And she was, had no patience when, when she was fighting for this, if people would stigmatize either people or, um, the disease itself, she just had no, um, patience for that at all. And she was very outspoken about that. Um, but anyways, very, um, compassionate person. I didn't realize she had done so much and it really was her life's work after she got into this. 
And um, I, I honestly feel, you know, we talked before, like a year or two before she got in, uh, Joan Rivers tried to organize a fundraiser and she just couldn't get any traction. Yeah. And so I do feel if Elizabeth Taylor hadn't started raising the money when she did in 1984 and really giving such awareness, I do feel the fight would have been stalled. I mean, and you know, Reagan 87 was the first time he mentioned well, it. Well, and they knew each other since the thirties when they right. were Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. And I, and I feel like if she wasn't continuously pestering him and she's like, look at what I'm doing, like all of this work, I mean, this needs to be done. I, I really feel the AIDS crisis would have been prolonged and, a lot more people would have died without her uh, work. That's so crazy. I mean, just thinking about it, like she, I mean, she really started the conversation, right? I mean, yeah. just in terms of it, like, yes, their work would have been done. I mean, by people like nurses on, you know, uh, that, uh, that, that wrote the book, like it, it, but it was in the medical community. It was very yeah. technical and she put a voice to people that needed help. Right. Yeah. Not yeah. only so. that, she kind of started celebrity activism because it was a career killer before then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't and people you. told her, they said, this will ruin your career if you yeah. do this. Like, do not do this. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like it's good that, she, you know, she was kind of twofold. Like, she helped found the research foundation where it's like, okay, you guys are the experts. I will raise the money. But then she was aware enough to say, we're not educating people. You know, we're not caring for people. So, like, she kind of worked the whole spectrum, right? Like, yeah patient care, awareness prevention, and things yeah. like that. No, it was, uh, I mean, th- th- to your point earlier in terms of, like, her, her not just giving her celebrity over, like, also being very involved in it, because it's, you know, it's easy to be a spokesperson, right? Just you read the script that they're told, you show up to the yeah. events, but she was Yeah, and that's what she said. This. She said, I don't want to do that, and so she purposely leased an office to get her, uh, that first fundraiser off the ground, so she would just go every day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Well, Elizabeth Taylor. I yeah. mean, and it, I mean, it was an, like for her, that first fundraiser, as she said, people were slamming the phone down on her. They were absolutely no, like, I don't want to be any association yeah, with this. Well, I mean, that took a lot of grit, you know, to persevere through all that. Yeah. Huh. I mean, she's a, definitely an icon, right? I mean, in terms of, although there's some. To f- me, she has the most, like, star power of any celebrity I've ever seen. If you watch. A documentary of her, any of her movies, it's like she's fascinating. You think? Yeah. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. I feel she's just magnetic. You know, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, she was never. I mean, I knew who she was, but I didn't. She's never anything that popped to me. Like, I mean, I knew she was carried some heft, but I mean, all I knew was. Even, especially later in life when she gained all that weight. The tabloid stuff of the husbands, and that's that's kind of what I remember her as. But, and then, of course, the White Diamonds commercial. And see, that's what. I don't know. I just, you know, ever since she was so young, she was just under, like, I remember she was um, probably a teenager or just like 20 or something. She, um, I just love that she was so outspoken. So she always said when she was a teenager, she said, you know, I'm, uh, I have a, I, I have the body of a woman, but I have the mind of a girl, you know, immature, things like that. And she married this guy that was about 20 years older than she was. And somebody interviewed her and he said, you know, you always said you have the body of a woman, but the mind of a girl and has being married to this guy. Cause they were always, and I think it was her second marriage and they were always worried about her marriages. And he said, so, you know, do you think you're a bit more mature now that you've been married to this older guy for a couple of years? And she goes, and this is her saying, and I'm quoting, I'm not saying this. And she goes, well, I would hope so. She goes, if not, that would make me half retarded, wouldn't it? 
<laughs> you know, but she was just very, um, you know, and like when she said about President Bush, yeah. she's like, well, I wasn't referring to the secretary. The little underling the secretary. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, she's been a star her whole life, so that kind of yeah. stunts mm-hmm. your emotional Yeah, and she was uh, under the watchful eye so long, and so she was like, ugh. She was married briefly to a Republican senator, and mm-hmm. I wonder how he voted, if that influenced how he voted for funding and approval for any AIDS drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, she, yeah, definitely one, one for the for the books an icon. If you heard some squeaking in the background, that wasn't my knee. Uh, that was uh, Chris from Our Spoopy Podcast coming in to say hi, to drop in. You know, it's a friendly environment here. Speaking of friendly, we'd like to thank our friendly sponsor, Economy Works. Economy Works believes in the power of co- connection. If you're a company that needs project support to tackle your to-do list, like benchmarking, analysis, meeting facilitation, Economy Works wants to connect you with its talent network. The talent network has over 700 years of experience and growing in HR, marketing, IT, accounting, and other specialties. Economy Works. When we work, the economy works. Find out more at economyworks.com. E-C-O-N-O-M-I. W-O-R-K-S dot com. All right, Kendall. Wonderful. Talk to us about, before there was Rush Limbaugh, there was Jerry Falwell. Oh, Jerry Falwell, who did probably more against the gays, and not just the gays, but minorities and women than probably anybody, I would say, in the second part of the 20th century. You think about, like, these opposing forces. I mean, we just talked about Elizabeth Taylor, right, and, like, all the good she was doing for the community. Mm, and, and at the same time you have this guy you had jerry but i think that made her people as despicable as jerry falwell made elizabeth taylor speak up more because she saw the absurdity in it but the anniversary we are talking about or this date february 24th 1982 uh, reverend jerry falwell was speaking at the annual bible baptist fellowship and was hit in the face with two pies by two women fruit pies that were protesting no not fruit pies uh, by two women that were pro- protesting his abortion views. And they were just part of the many groups that hated Jerry Falwell's guts. But because uh, the gays did not like him, he saved his, his most venomous talk for the gays. But they struck him in the face with two bites. He licked it off. One of them hit him in his face, and he just licked it off made a joke and kept talking and while he was talking this crowd of baptist christians went wild and chased after the women the women got away but they had like this accomplice that got in between them and they beat the hell out of them oh really yeah they started beating him up so badly that the police had to stop them and detain the guy for his own safety this is a baptist conference y'all oh you know those religious people <laughs> i think that's what happens is you know we we see our 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 um are not people liking our our, <laughs> our podcast? And all of a sudden, I saw, I look at the numbers and I see this like uh, flurry yeah. of like people unfollowing us and stuff. We can edit. It's every time we talk about religion. Catch us out. But the New York Times said. Now, they, I know a lot they, of people who are very religious, and I love them. Just joking. Well, that's their choice. They should be more accepting of people if they don't have the exactly. They're not. <laughs> they're not offended. Thanks, Kendall. Uh, the New York Times said the attendees of the event were became quote extremely violent i'm like that's a church meeting y'all get your bibles out um you but that just like your dad there that's like <laughs> get your bibles bow your head get your bibles out y'all get your bibles out turn, but that was just turn one to second current uh, two corinthians but that instance just showed how much people could not what a lightning rod he was and how much people didn't like him. He was born um, August 11th, 1933 in Lynchburg, Virginia. 
his grandfather was an atheist and his dad was an agnostic former bootlegger. So he didn't necessarily grow up in an extremely religious household. I don't know where this extreme religious views came into play. Was his daddy gay? I don't know. Was he gay? But in 1956, at 22, he founded <laughs> Thomas Road Baptist Church, and it became a huge megachurch. Um, so he was his whole life, he was the pastor of this big megachurch. And in the 1950s and 60s, he campaigned against Martin Luther King. Oh, he did? Yeah, because he... Of course. He believed schools should never be desegregated. He said, quote, the facilities should be separate when god has drawn a line of distinction we should not cross that line when did god draw this line of distinction between the whites and blacks? but see that's, that's used in a lot of white evangelical circles to justify racism but i don't understand so the because they take out obviously this is not every christian um but they take out bible verses that say god created different nations and separated the people oh, okay. and interpret it in a way that says well we're supposed to all be separate but yeah. I don't know how whites got on the top of that totem pole, but in the Bible, <laughs> right. but and we rule white exactly. people. Right. Said white people. Okay. So that's what he taught his entire life, and this was like probably the most famous pastor in most of his life that had a huge influence um, on much of evangelical Christians his entire life. In 1967, he founded. Be, this is after so Brown versus Board of Tequila. Topeka um, desegregated public schools and in the south you had a lot of what they called segregation academies which were white people saying well we're going to create our own Christian academy you have to call it a Christian academy so it can be a private school this is before Mm. like charter schools and they made all white Christian academies and said well you can pay money and come to here and we we control who can come in who can't and that was the name for them that popped up, I guess the media probably used it, but segregation academies. And it was, quote, even in the charter, it said private school for white students. <laughs> oh, really? This is a minister yeah. in 1967. But that doesn't sound like it's a uh, an anomaly. Like, that. Yeah. he was probably the prevailing voice. I mean, that was the prevailing Oh, he was thought. just one of many. Yeah. In 1971, he founded Liberty University. Do you know of Liberty University? Is it in New Orleans? <laughs> no, no. No, it's, it's in, in uh, Virginia. Virginia. Huge, oh. like... I think it's 20,000 students right now. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah, I know people that graduated from there. What, uh, are there any people of color in, like, brown people, black people that go to that university? I mean, I, I would be hard for me to go to that university. Now, granted, I went to Texas A&M, so <laughs> you can, but um, it would be hard for me to go to a university like that that's just based on a segregationist philosophy. Well, I doubt they flat out said black people aren't wel- welcome here because they probably needed federal funding. But you said the charter was like for whites, right? Right, but that's a local little hmm. private academy. Yeah. I don't know if they if there were any black people oh. in this giant university or not. There probably be but in right. nineteen so that's nineteen seventy one. In nineteen seventy eight, in the Carter administration, the IRS stripped tax exempt status from all white private schools formed after desegregation. So the IRS knew what was up mm-hmm. with these so-called Christian academies and took away their tax-exempt static status. And it took till then because he was late 70s. Oh, yeah. This was 1978. <laughs> and that <laughs> enraged crazy. Jerry Falwell so much that he created the Moral, Major- Moral Majority, which was a super PAC, which still exists today. Oh, wow. 
um, the, it, he called it a pro-life, pro-traditional family. We know what that means. Pro-moral, pro-family organization. And he started it so that Jimmy Carter would not be reelected because of the this 1978 IRS decision to take away tax-exempt status from all white schools. Mm-hmm. That level of hatred, I cannot. It's, it's ridiculous. It does. It makes you think when somebody's like their whole life's purpose is anti stuff like that. Like, what is in them that they're trying to cover up or hide or whatever? Because I mean, I feel if like you're a normal, well-adjusted, happy person, attempt to stay at the top of the food chain. Why would you? We're seeing like hatred, and we're seeing this now. I mean, what do you think that thirty percent of yeah, America? Yeah, I can tell you because voting for Trump. You're in charge, and you're in control, and you can tell people what to do if you belittle, downgrade, pull Bible verses out to justify racism, homophobia, women remaining in the home, all that kind of stuff. You've set up a nice, sweet little deal yeah. that your sons can benefit from that look just like you. Well, and I, I mean, that's the whole point of racist, white supremacist. I mean, it's the fear um, of unknown, too, right? I mean, beliefs. It's, it's you don't know what it is, so you just fear it, right? I mean, it's not... Uh, yeah. I mean, there's... I mean, people fear gay people, right? I mean, this is, they don't know about it. And so it's like, well, let's not have gay people or trans people because you don't, you don't know, you don't know anyone. So it's ignorance. Um, but then sometimes it's backed with hatred, which is awful. But I mean, again, we see it. It's also, they're not equal to me. So I need to convince everyone else that they're not equal to me so that I can remain above (laughs) Yeah, it's just you know every you know. other group. But I don't know what that, like. Where does that come from? Like, I that? know. See, that's my thing. It's like, if you're just a normal, well-adjusted, I just want to live my life. Why would you be so worried but, about? But I think it is like again. I if I had to, not that I am racist or transphobic or anything like that. But when I don't know, it's it is this kind of, it's it's an ignorance. It's fueled by ignorance. It's like this lack of. Uh, never, I've never been anti-trans, but it's just like, well, I don't know. I mean, if you would ask me 20 years ago what I think about trans rights, I'd been like, I, I mean, yeah, but you're not going to make it your life's work to be, yeah. no, but it, it, because it, it goes it, against the norm, which makes you fearful, right? And it, and it's all because you don't and know. You can either embrace that fear, or you can be like, okay, let me think and learn, educate myself, right? And most of us don't. We just want to continue to be ignorant about it because then yeah. if we open ourselves up to that then it's that's a scary place right you start to know more facts and be exposed to different things and maybe people i mean the, the whole in my, my opinion the basis of this trump movement is all uh it's all people who who don't want to educate themselves they want to be in their bubble and ignorant about yeah they want their this is the way life was they want 20 to have years their views affirmed yeah. about they're Jerry Falwell views, many of them. Right. And I don't, by the way, I don't think this is Trump. That This isn't Trump. I mean, he gets the label, but I mean, these people, all these people will still be here after right. Trump, yeah, yeah. whether oh, he yeah, gets yeah, elected yeah. or not, which is a scary thing. Right. So this, Jerry Falwell created this in response, uh, more majority, and he said, it is my mission to get Ronald Reagan elected. And when this guy's coming to you with millions of votes and saying, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to get you elected. You do whatever he says. <laughs> and remember, this is the, the South was Democratic until it became a little too liberal, a little too Northeastern liberal. And Jerry Falwell credits the South going Republican because of Jimmy Carter. 
and he's credited with delivering two-thirds of the evangelical vote to Reagan in 1980. And Jimmy Carter said in a book, in the autumn of 1980, a group headed by Jerry Falwell purchased $10 million in commercials on Southern radio and TV to brand me as a traitor to the South and no longer a Christian. Wow. And when I was growing up in a very Republican household, in my household and every other Republican that I knew, Jimmy Carter was the worst president we've ever had. And then we got Bill Clinton, and he was the absolute worst president. We will never have a worse president. And then we got Barack Obama, and the worst. Many of it's just the whole if you disagree with us, we're going to destroy you. Yeah. We're going to label you, know, you, we're gonna label you as satanic and all this kind uh, of stuff. Which was one of Jerry Falwell's favorite words. Socialist. In 1994, he even, uh, Jerry Falwell, promoted and distributed a documentary called The Clinton Chronicles, an investigation into the alleged criminal activities of Bill Clinton. And it tried to link Clinton to the murder of Vince Foster, who was... Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And cocaine smuggling, it was discredited, but 150,000 copies were sold. And it kind of became this, like... And people believe shit. Yeah. Yeah. And it was completely discredited. In 2005, he said, to this day, I don't know the accuracy of the documentary. So this Christian man, this God-fearing, truthful person who uh, uh, follows every letter of the Bible as a good, wholesome Christian, was basically fueled the whole, whole campaign on lies. And we're all okay with that, right? For power and for money. I know it, but I'm like, he's supposed to be wholesome Christian, and he's a liar. And we're all like, okay. Not, you know, uh, his followers are like, they shrug their shoulders. But Bill Clinton, he's a bad SOB. Like, it doesn't, the hypocrisy is mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, somebody uh, was interviewing um, an evangelical about Trump, and they they said, you know, he's had all these affairs. He had the grab the women by the thing video, whatever. And they were like, as a Christian, how can you be okay with that? And they were like, look, we think he was sent here by God, and so we're okay with all this because he's... We were all sent right. here by God, but doesn't mean we're all supposed to be president, okay? That's what i got to say about that. Okay. I think they feel Testify. he was sent to the presidency by God. Uh-huh. And so, you know, like the means justify the end. Well, Jerry, as much as... The end, as, the the sign, as the sign of the end of times, is that why he's here? Uh-huh. As much as Jerry Falwell didn't like uh, minorities... Or Democrats, he saved most of his um, hatred for the gays. Did you just say Democrats? No. He uh, supported Anita Bryant's Save Our Children campaign. Remember that we talked mm-hmm. about on another one, which was Cute Anita. A, well, don't worry, her we're still campaign gonna... to overturn a Florida or- ordinance prohibiting discrimination best on, based on sexual orientation. We're still going to come. I mean, we're talking about Jerry Falwell's pie in the face. We are going to come back to Anita because I know some folks have said, "Hey, we you talked to, didn't talk about the pie in the face." Well, Anita's <laughs> pie in the face is coming. Another episode. Yes. But he said, "Gay folks would just soon just as soon kill you as look at you," which I don't really get that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not known for killing people. Well, you might want to. Uh, you know, screw him, but not... Uh, Thomas. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Humble. He called him brute beasts, which sounds like a pretty gay term to me. Brute beasts. I'm like, Ooh. We should get t search. That's on your profile. Brute beast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a brute That beast. is my profile. <laughs> brute beast. <laughs> he said this vile and satanic system will one day uh, be utterly annihilated and there'll be a celebration in heaven. Wait, Tony so really gays will be utterly annihilated. Yes. Tony's really updating his profile right now. That says brute beast. <laughs> yeah. BB now means something more different than just I was checking <laughs> my Facebook. Okay. Than just uh, <laughs> bareback or BBC, yeah. whatever. 
Tony likes that BBC. <laughs> and then, of course, he said, like many Christian leaders in the 80s, said AIDS is not just God's punishment for homosexuals. It's God's punishment for the society that tolerates homosexuals. It's a Which cure. was, I don't know if you all remember in the 80s and 90s, it was, we got AIDS because we're too nice to the gays. Uh, we oh, tolerate the gays. So if you were if you were a straight person, then you got AIDS because you uh, you were too nice to the gays. No, as a society, oh, it a existed society. because they're sinners, and we didn't um, chastise and banish them enough. I love how we always like use God to like uh, you know justify things like uh, something like AIDS or Hurricane Katrina hit, and it was like, well, that's what New Orleans hit, but mm. a big flood like mm-hmm. uh, devastates Iowa, and it's like, well, you know. God's just, uh, you know, showing his... Actually, one of my friends truly believed that. She she felt that um, Katrina was sent to New Orleans because it was such a sinful city. And uh, so when they started rebuilding, you know, the French Quarter was like... It wasn't really that affected, but that was, you know, that's their business. And so they started um, trying to get that back right away. And she's like, it's going to happen again because God tried to clean the city up and... But I'm like, why can't we use it as God is teaching us an opportunity to rebuild or something like that? It's always like, because they're sinners or I don't know. It just, he could, we get used that excuse a lot. So uh, apparently he, he, as he got older, it got even sadder because he would just cling on to these ridiculous things for attention against the gays. But he would also try to have it both ways. Like he had a conference where he invited 200 ministers and 200 gay people. <laughs> Which sounds like a giant orgy. Uh, it probably say. was. Yeah, but Wait, why did he invite? Well, they had this conference to kind of convert. let's get together and talk about our differences. Well, first of all, their differences that you created. Right. Yeah, exactly. Where he kind of he said there have been some evangelicals whose language can border on hate speech. That's like you created. Where's that. the first person mm-hmm. plural in that? Like you created the environment. So without apologizing, he acknowledged. And he said, we don't want to give the impression that you're banished from the church. We've, we've, evangelicals have sometimes given the perception that you're not welcome here. Didn't you just quote something that said he was, said we were going to be banished? From right, exactly. Like, oh. <laughs> I'm confused by the, these folks. But in that same year, in 1999... He wrote an unsigned article, which, come on, Jerry, sign it. And I forget where it was published. But it was saying that the Teletubby, Tinky Winky, the purple one, was oh, yeah. gay. Remember the Teletubbies, this little oh, yeah, yeah. toddler show? Wait, it was the pink one, right? With the one no, with the, the purple one. Yeah, and didn't he have an upside-down triangle, the triangle on his, on his yeah. head? So, of course so he, he said gay. Tinky Winky is gay because he's purple, which is the gay pride color. I'm like, all colors are gay pride <laughs> together. <laughs> Uh, the triangle antenna, which was a gay symbol, and mm-hmm. Tinky Winky had a magic bag, which obviously had to be a purse. And he was confused about his gender. Well, he didn't have any parts. What was he supposed so to do? So he said, Teletubbies is satanic, and you should not let your kids watch it. And of course, because he has millions of followers, they're like, death to Teletubbies. I'm ready for Gen Z to bring which back the Teletubbies. Can we have like a Teletubbies craze like we did with Pokemon a few years ago? <laughs> Like everyone's staring at their phones looking for Teletubbies. No? Mm-mm. I'm going to come up with that idea. Teletubby go. <laughs> and after 9 11, he, he blamed, of course, the gays for 9 oh, yeah. 11. Oh, yeah, we as did well that. as um, women who get abortions and the pagans, which is so random. Well, well at Do least pagans he didn't exist anymore? At least he didn't blame the Muslims. <laughs> 
I mean, <laughs> well, later he said, no, actually, I meant it was the Muslim terrorist. Oh, okay. And I apologize if I left the impression that I was talking about gays and lesbians. Oh, really? You literally said <laughs> gays and lesbians. But anyway. Sorry if I left that impression. <laughs> and then he died in his sleep of cardiac arrest or sudden cardiac death, May 15th, 2007. Oh, and really? I know earlier you said about, what was it, Rush Limbaugh? We would never wish death on anyone. There are some people for the whole of society, it's better off if they're dead. So you're saying that about him? He advocated such, he advocated so many horrible things that people committed suicide. And just from hate, yeah. Many people committed suicide because of him. You know? Or just like the guy that you said, Elizabeth Taylor's, I'm not saying this is because of specifically Jerry Falwell, but the guy who committed suicide once he found out he had AIDS. It's partially because of an environment where you say, this is your fault, and yeah, I mean, you're going to be banished to there's hell. There's still stigma now. Can you imagine that, like, 40 years ago? Wow. Yeah. And what about his son, who lives on? Oh, yeah, his son is now the chancellor of Liberty University. He's embroiled in his own questionable, probably gay, well, allegedly, so we don't get sued. Is he cute? Uh, somewhat. But what is it he sold a bunch of land to his uh, personal trainer. The son did? And he has it, yeah. And his son has a very close relationship with his personal, I don't know. Mm. I didn't know you were going to bring that up. Well, no, so I, I was just say, it. I was going to say he's a big uh, Trump guy, isn't he? Well, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Like a huge, um, like, I don't know. Huge. huge. Huge Trump guy. I don't know. You want to talk about another Christian? Gloria Gaynor. Okay. All right. <laughs> Kind of like, okay. <laughs> I'm going to talk about one of the greatest gay anthems of all time. Any guesses what it is? I said at the beginning of the show, but Tony won't remember what it is. Uh, I will survive. Duh. I will survive. What do you guys think? How does that ra- uh, stack up in terms of your gay anthems? I mean, that's the big one from the 70s. You got another one? No other gay Are you anthem? asking us to list? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell, tell me your uh, gay anthems. I can't think on the spot like this. Vogue. Vogue, yeah. That's my favorite. Born This Way by Gaga. I like that one. Um, Wait, what was yours? Born This Way. Oh, yeah. Um, what else? There's I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. What else? We got. Uh, I was reading the, like, there's top 25, and there was, like, one is, a lot of them I don't know. Like, uh, there's some ABBA, uh, Village People, YMCA. Uh, but I'm like, those are just disco songs. Uh, there's one. Dancing Queen. Dancing Queen, yep. Uh, Freedom by uh, George Michael. Uh, oh, yeah. And then they, which was kind of cool that they had some uh, in this article, which I can't, um, I don't know any of them, uh, but like um, some by some gay artists. The only one I could think of like by a gay artist is like RuPaul, You Better Work. To me, in terms of oh, like yeah, a, all his songs it can't are, be gay yeah. anthem. Uh, but yeah, so. You better work. You better work. So, uh, w- so this week, uh, I Will Survive wins the first Last and only Grammy for uh, Best Disco on February 27th, 1980. Oh, they only had one Best one, Disco category? One so it was, it, it, I it, love you, Disco. You won in 1980, but you think about it, 1980 was like, at the that point. The death of Disco, I think, yeah. was 1980. Yeah, well, there was a big, like, everyone cites, although this uh, this song came out after it, but uh, there was a, 
at the end of the 70s the disco was already starting to die there was a big thing and i think in chicago yeah and they had to like burn all these bring your records and we're gonna burn them yep and so they burned (laughs) all those but nonetheless this song endured and uh i mean it's not only a gay anthem but it is like the or one of the greatest disco songs but it's an anthem that i think everyone uh um kind of relates to um so the song i I will survive i mean if we want to sing it together at first i was afraid i was petrified Come on, what you got, Kendall? Can't think. Kept no. thinking I could never live without you by, by my, my side. side. I think that's all the lyrics we can say, otherwise we get sued. <laughs> but uh, the song was written by Gloria Gaynor. Uh, oh, no, sang by Gloria. Sung? Sang? Sung. Sung. Sung? By Gloria Gaynor and written by Freddie Perrin and Dino uh, Um So this is this song is uh, much like the, the lyrics, and it, like the how it got to be was also a survival story because do you know anything about I do not story I don't Um, know nothing about song so the story so Gaynor background on Gaynor right disco star had some uh, good hits in the uh, late 60s when disco was starting in the 70s and in you know in 1975 she was named queen of disco right so she had a a hit song never say uh, never can say goodbye which was a cover of the Jackson 5 Um, but as that after that song happened like her career wasn't having the same sort of steam, mm-hmm. uh, so she wasn't putting as many hits. Her mom died also, so she was really struggling with you know with that. Uh, and so all this stuff's happening. She's also in a performance. She winds up slipping on stage and becomes paralyzed from the race, waist down. And so she has to have sp- surgery on her spine. And Get the fuck she, out. Yeah, she's in the right. hospital for three months. Uh, she's wearing a brac brace and has to go through some like intense physical therapy. Um, in in the because she's not producing any hits either, she's also about to be told that they're not going to renew her contract. So here we have one time Queen of Disco, 1975, right? Now not producing as many hits. Yep. Her mom has died, and paralyzed. and she's paralyzed, right, well, from the waist down, yeah. going through this extensive like rehab. medical treatment. Yeah. So. Um, and then they're about to drop her from her label. But there was a new president that came in at the record company, and he was like, you know what? I think there's a song that he really uh, had a hankering for. It was a, it was a, uh, it was going to be a cover of a song that uh, was doing well in Europe by some South African group. It was called uh, The Substitute, and he's like, this is going to be her, Gloria Gaynor's like comeback song. So he convinces uh, Freddie Perrin and Dino Ficaris uh, to produce the song. And they're like, we're going to do the song, but we also want to have a song of ours on the B-side. Ah, no way. Which, if you remember what the B-sides are, uh, it's the other side of the record. Yeah. Uh, for those folks that were born in the 90s and don't know anything about a record. <laughs> so uh, as I look at the host of our spoopy podcast... Um, so, yeah, so they, they're like, okay, we have a song. So they're meeting with Gloria Gaynor. They're like, okay, we're going to do the song substitute. Well, so, like, tell us about, because, you know, we get to put a song on the B-side. Tell us about what you want to do. Like, what kind of lyrics, like, resonate with you? And so she starts talking. And oh, so they just said, we want a song, not this particular. Yeah, okay, yeah, well, okay. And so, and so they were going to do it with Gloria Gaynor. So they're like, okay, what, whatever. Plus, they, I mean, these guys were songwriters, so they had a yeah. catalog of stuff. Yeah. So as they're talking, they're like, you know what? We think ah. you're, you're the one we've been waiting for to record this song that we wrote a few, you know, a few years ago. She read the lyrics and she said, God had given that song to them to set aside, waiting for everything for me to get in order. Uh, and because uh, she read the lyrics and she's like, this is my life. Like, again, mm-hmm. the top had fallen 
and it was like working her way up. And the, the lyrics, I mean, though it's about, uh, you know, a, a, a cheating, you know, partner, I mean, the lyrics were like the, the declaring of independence, the, you know, the strength that the song conveys. She's like, this is my song. And so uh, they recorded, like they were, again, the, the intent of the record was to produce the song Substitute. So uh, after a day of recording, long day of recording, they're producing, they, they made the song Substitute. And then at the end, um, one of the, the guys uh, that wrote the song, I think it was Freddie, he was like, hey, let's just stick around. Like he tells the band, like, let's do one more song. And so they were like, okay. And so he's like, I'll play the intro. So he played the intro. Of course, the intro to I Will Survive is iconic, right? That Like the piano stuff. And so he plays it. They went to pound that song out and, and, and they made it a, a, a record. And so, and then three weeks later, this thing is a hit. Um, so again, because the intent was that Substitute was going to be the main song, that was the song the, com- the, the record company wanted to hype. Mm-hmm. So they weren't going to release I Will Survive as a single. So what uh, Gloria Gaynor did is she, she went to Studio 54 where she had performed before, knew the DJ, and she played the song. So the DJ plays the song again, Studio 54 in New York mm-hmm. City. No one's ever heard the song. And she said the song, the, the crowd, like just totally ate it. Yeah. Up. They enjoyed it. She's like, like they were cheering, they were dancing. And uh, she's like, which is not something you see happens in New York City. She's like, New York folks are jaded. Like, n- can't be impressed by anything. Like, mm-hmm. thank you, next. And so uh, they, they just ate it up. And she's like, I knew it was going to be a hit. And so she took one of the record uh, people with her to, like, so they could see how well the song was going to do. Because she felt it. Like, and again, I, she was living it. It's one thing to like, yeah. have that perfect song f- yep. written for you. She recorded the song in a back brace. I mean, but yeah. you think about it. Like if you hear that song, which I listened to several times and, and prep for this, I was like, it is so powerful. And that was in her mind when she was singing it, right? And so that's probably why she also came across, yeah. yeah. And so, so but power. she's doing it in a back. I mean, yeah. if you think you're going to sing it, like you're going to belt it out, you're going to be moving. I mean, the, she was constrained by a, a back brace. So, uh, so yeah, so the song is released. Um, of course, the, 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 um, the, uh, it was released officially on uh, October 1978. Again, it was on the B side. Substitute, which was kind of the lead single that the record company wanted to produce, um, that made it to 107 on the charts. Wow. Um, by March of 1979, uh, the uh, um, it was it was number one. I will survive was number, number one, one on the on the pop charts. So, um, and then it, again, it won its Grammy in, in 1980. Um, the, it was competing against some good songs. It was, was Boogie Wonderland, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough by Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. Uh, Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart. Uh, Dim All the Lights was another one. Um, of course, this song kind of lives on, right? I mean, it oh, is yeah. charted since, it, I mean, this was written 40 years ago, right? It is charted on the Billboard charts every decade. Even last year, it was a top 10 like, dance hit. Yeah. Wow, yeah. So, like a remix, a remade version? No, her version was a, a top 10 dance hit last year. Wow. So it's crazy. Is she is surviving. She is. Well, that's people. I mean, if you look, do any research on the song, I mean, or Gloria Gaynor, this comes up all the time. You know, and that was one of the things that she was like, you know, and after the song did well, she was like, okay, produce others. I mean, after the 80s starts coming, people are like, uh, or she, they would always ask her about it. And she's like, I've done other songs. And so it kind of weighed on her. In the 80s, too, she kind of went through some stuff, like all the celebrity that came with mm-hmm. the song. Plus, she was just really popular before that. But uh, 
um, she found herself at a party one time and she was like, there was drugs and alcohol and all these things. And she said, God shook me and said, you know, <laughs> grab me by the shoulder and say, you don't need to be in this situation. So she um, really kind of found her, her faith after that. But the other thing kind of in, in, in kind of in parallel was just like this constant attention on the song. Eventually she just decided to lean into it. She's like, this is me. And now she says, you know, I will survive at the core of who I am. It's like what yeah. I was meant to do. Um, I mean, the song, again, in addition to being a top 10 hit throughout several decades, has been covered by s- several uh, artists, uh, Diana Ross, um, Aretha Franklin um, in the 90s. I, I say this because it kept coming up. I don't remember this version of it, but Shantae Savage was a person you guys know. Mm-hmm. I um, of course. She Shantae away. She Shantae away. I remember this song because who sang it? Selena. Selena. She did? It. Yeah, Selena sang oh, it. Oh, she did. Her version I was didn't good. know that. She was singing it at the rodeo in 1995, which was her last performance. Uh, and so she did a medley of other disco hits, but that's how she opened the show at the Astrodome here in Houston. No way. Uh, yeah. So you were there? I was not there. Okay. I wish. Oh, my gosh. If I would have been there, I'd, I'd literally... Wet yourself? Yes. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, so that's how I kind of was reintroduced to the song. And then like my senior year of high school freshman year of college cake released uh, the rock band uh released a cover of it it was very slow and melodic and not super slow but it was a cake song if you know the band cake um they produced it she actually re-recorded it in 2009 so the 30th anniversary uh it uh she recorded she also did a version in spanish but the woman is still singing the song today i mean she's done other stuff she's just released her eighth 18th album wow. won two Grammys uh, recently get out it's a gospel awesome. it was her first gospel album she said her management she'd been wanting to do a gospel album for some time but her management uh, team was like eh. and I think probably because they know her brand I mean so she kind of stepped into it a while back in 2007 she did an interview with the BBC uh, and uh, not the big not the BBC that yeah, you're thinking I wasn't about. even thinking Tony, that the uh, TV station I was <laughs> the TV <laughs> station in in, uh, in the UK Um but she did an interview that asked her about uh, what she thought about her big gay following. And she's like, well, I wish I could, I basically would want to lead them to Christ. And so a lot of people were like, oh, wait Backlash. a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but she's like, listen, because they, in an interview in December of 2019, they asked her, hey, you said these comments. Do you want to clarify? She's like, well, I thought I was pretty clear. She's like, look, I love my fans like I have no nothing against gay people I do get the sense that she because she was like well my faith is what it is like uh, but she's like look the gay the, the president of my fan club is gay the my social media marketing person that's sitting right next to me in this interview is gay she's like I've got gay family members and none of them are going to doubt that I love them until the day I die so she's like that's what it is and so so I still think she maintains like hey homosexuality is wrong but she's like I don't judge you for that i don't i'm, I'm still she gonna hates love the you. sin not the sinner yeah which is good i guess but i mean but i mean she goes to gay bars and she's gone to gay bars to perform it i mean she there was one uh one uh i uh, article that was out there saying that she had asked uh that no shirtless men be be in the in the photos with only her. shirtless women yes well she's like hey look it's not it, it and her people were like this is not a uh anti-gay thing it's just like she she's a she christian wants classy, yeah. she does she wants people clothes she's like i don't take pictures with scantily clad men or women so like it's it's just kind of who i am so um but the song i mean when it came out in the late 70s um, it was really, even though disco was kind of on the, on its deathbed, it really kind of found a following and, you know, I didn't appreciate this about, you can say something. 
No, uh, I, no. I mean, I, I do feel it's like it's disco, but to me, it's not like as disco-y as some songs. So I think it's just one of those things that as soon as you hear it, no matter what kind of music you're into, I think you like that song, right? I, and I didn't appreciate like the aspects of disco. And then as I, you know, people are studying the song as a culture. I mean, the song was entered in 2015 into the National Registry, so in the Library of Congress. Uh, but I didn't appreciate what disco represented at the time. I just thought it was a funky way of music. But when you look at it from an academic standpoint and a, uh, a, a sociological standpoint, it, it is it was a first time in like recent history whatever that people could dance on their own it wasn't like a waltz mm. it wasn't like I yeah mean, so i mean you had the twist and things like that but it was really most of the time men were leading women into dancing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and so and at, at also at the same time rock was very popular um and so while that was embraced by all i mean this had a beat to it you could dance yeah to it. whereas rock is not as right. dancey yeah. so if you're which rock was predominantly dominated by white men right so if you're black you can embrace the more soulful aspect of it you can dance to it if you're a woman you can yeah. dance on your own to it of course the gays loved it because we could go yeah. dance to this music as well and that's the thing too like uh, the whole disco conversation about dancing i mean it's around the time of like the women's lib movement and yeah. stuff like that where you can just get out there and dance you don't need it's also before aids and during the peak of like the aftermath of sexual revolution and people were experimenting with drugs because you had the whole aftermath of the hippie yay free love free drugs whatever and it's before all that came crashing down because of aids mm -hmm. right and so this song though because of aids like it found even a new voice because it's um, again the the basis of the song is about yeah. a cheating person but it's the i will survive you know you can't hold me down i'm independent i'm finding my strength i'm bouncing back yeah and the the gay community women, anyone that's kind of civil searching for equality or yeah. advocating for equality uh, was really embraced the song. And again, the LGBT community, because of all the, the, the pain that was being caused and, uh, because of AIDS, like they really found a voice with the song. Yeah. Of course, you hear it all the time, right? It's at Disco Sunday at the Eagle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, although I don't think they call it Disco Sunday anymore, but it's there. Dirty Disco? What do they call it? I don't know. But, I don't uh, know. But... It, you know, you hear it at gay bars. You see uh, drag queens perform it. Um, it's at every gay pride event. It makes uh, the top ten list of, you know, am gay anthems. And so I think this song, I like I said, I found it powerful. I remember, like, I'd broken up with a girlfriend, and I was like, oh, I was all heartbroken. I'm like, this song, like, I remember, like, feeling. It's going to get me through it. Yes. I was like, yeah. No, <laughs> no, I guess I was the gay. Uh, Wait, maybe I'm gay. <laughs> Wait, maybe I'm gay. <laughs> As I started snapping my fingers. <laughs> yes. So yeah, um, I, I was all the gay. So, um, yeah. So that's, uh, I will survive. You guys. That's also, I, I mean, I know, I know the song. I didn't know any of the background or history, but uh, to me, it's like that just, I mean, I've always liked that song, but I mean, that's really awesome that she... It's a gay anthem. Probably the yeah. gay anthem. Yeah, and so the fact that she went through all of that and she was, like, going through all this medical treatment for paralysis and everything that... Um, I can't imagine cutting that song in a freaking back brace. Like, how would you not be, like, wanting to move around and you're just, like, uh, in a wheelchair? Yeah. Like, you would want to... I don't know, express some emotion. Like, the, but other than kind of when you hear it, like, are there songs like, is this a song that you, that kind of resonates with you guys? Like, is it something that you ever have like found? It did when I was younger. Cause they would play it. Let's see. Early two thousands, even when I was going out in New Orleans and it had a different meaning to me back then, actually, because 
you couldn't serve in the military. You couldn't be. It was still illegal to be gay, to have gay sex. Yeah. You couldn't get married anywhere. So I will survive had a different meaning than it does now. Now it's nostalgia. Then it was like, you this know, is singing me. to almost like singing in protest. Well, yeah, and then that's, I think that's why the gay community embraced it. But I, like I said, I remember this song hits me at a couple of points. Uh, I remember somewhat hearing it as a kid, but I remember in 95 after, and it was all over the place after Selena died too, because it was her last concert. So I remember it there. Oh, that was her last concert ever. Not just mm-hmm. last at the rodeo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I remember the cake song cause I was in high school and I was like, Oh, or college. And I was like, this is, I was really vibing to it. It was a different take mm-hmm. on a song that I had recently been familiar with because of Selena. And then, um, yeah, now it's like it's something like a, I remember it during a breakup and it coming on. And actually, a, a cousin of mine was also going through a breakup, so we were like, "This is our song." Your and cousins broke up with each other. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's what we do. Um, and then, uh, and then now, like you said, it, it means a bit more. It uh, to me, I, I associate it with some with LGBT pride, though. Like I think it's um, it's yeah. an exciting song. So yeah. I, yeah, I would say though. I mean, I would imagine, especially if it was in the top ten dance hits. I mean. There's probably a lot of straight bars that if they're playing like old 80s music and stuff, like if it's 80s night, I bet that's on there. When you hear it at every karaoke yeah, night, yeah. too. Yeah, oh, yeah. For the record, when it hit number nine, when it hit number nine last year, uh, it was in June, which. Oh, yeah. That Pride. Oh, that makes Pride. Which I, did, I forgot to, to know. Gays are nothing but Laurel. Speaking of, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a, well, it's a gay anthem. Nothing um, but not Laurel. But our Pride Month is uh, in June. It'll be here before we know it. And so. I know. LGBT History Month is going on in the UK right now. I, did, I forgot to, we should, we failed to note that, even though we've got. Oh, uh, they're, they're their fifth February is their LGBT L- History Month? Yeah. Okay. So I say that because I recently saw a tweet from the mayor of London who was like, trans men are men, trans women are women, non binary. People oh, good are for not him. Binary. I was like, good for you, Mayor of London. So, which Mr. Trump does not like at all, but whatever. Oh, I know. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's an episode, huh? It is. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast. And a special thank you to the guy who's about to wrap us up here, Spencer. Uh, you can check wrap out Spencer, up. and you can check out Chris from Our Spooky Podcast on their podcast our spoopy podcast uh they get all the spoops you get the true crimes you get the uh you get the murder mysteries you get the creepy pastas uh you get all things scary but most of all you get these those funny gentlemen kicking it up every super week. cute they're super cute you should follow them on instagram and twitter and facebook they put out some fun memes there follow um, them home if you see them on the street especially yes. chris chris needs <laughs> he's See what, see to what the dumpster. Follow him to the dumpster. You can see what sort of hanky he's wearing. Um, and if he's got them all. <laughs> and the Both nice pockets. The nice thing about social media is you can follow them and you can follow us. And you can follow us on Twitter at, at Talk Gay Stuff. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think. If you want to send us an email, you can send us one to Let's Talk About Gay Stuff at gmail.com. Don't forget to, again, follow. Uh, our social media, if you're not doing that already, we've got a nice uh, tribute to African-American pioneers for uh, LGBT, uh, rather Black History Month. And so uh, check out some of the uh, 29 uh, African-American LGBT icons that we're um, celebrating. So, all right. Um, we talked about our Spooky podcast on the Our Listen Networks Network. And from that, I guess we'll just sign off here because we're here. We're queer. Get used to it.